praise Him this morning. Amen. Lord, we just come before you today, and we, we thank you that you have allowed it so that we can call upon your name. God, you who are the Lord of all, the God of all creation, of the universe, Lord, and you yet allow us to come into your house, into your presence, and call on you. Lord, we do pray today that you will show us your glory, that you will inspire us to be ambassadors for you. God, we love you today. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, welcome to Hopevale. If uh, some of you, this is your first time with us, we certainly want to to invite you and welcome you uh, to be here. As you see, our worship experience is one that anyone can can just uh, pitch in and, and, and sing to your heart's content. We're here to uh, sing and praise our Savior Jesus. Today, uh, we want to do something a little bit different uh, for a greet. Um, one of the things we do is to try to get to know the people around you. So there are two questions today that I want to, to pose as we meet people. One is to try to get a couple of first names of people who are standing near you. The second one is ask, who are the retrievers? And if you don't know that, a few people here will help you. So go ahead and then make sure you say hi. So did you find out who the retrievers were? If you don't know, it... Uh, it messed up my whole bracket that did that, that's for sure. Um, but anyway, it's a basketball thing. We'll, we'll talk to you later. Yeah, so um, first off, my name is Amber Neeling. I'm the Welcome Ministries Director here at Hopevale Church. And this is my dad, for those of you who don't know. Aw, yeah. So I can vouch for the fact that it did completely ruin his, rack, his bracket. But mine got ruined by Arizona, so what are you going to do? Well, my name is Cass Ferris, and uh, along with being Amber's dad, I'm also on the, uh, the elder board here, and we're just glad that you're here with us. Uh, we want to share a couple of announcements with you today. Yeah, so um, one of them is a couple of weeks ago I was up here sharing that we had these awesome new tumblers um, available in the lobby. We actually have them starting today available for sale. So if you see this awesome tumbler, which holds hot and cold liquid, then um, these are for sale in the lobby starting today. They are $7. You can just go right to the Welcome Center, which is the curved desk in the lobby, and they can help you with that. So if you are interested, these are for sale. Um, oh. Exact change appreciated. You want me to say that probably, but go ahead. I mean, it's not like you don't need it, but anyway. So um, my dad, I tell you. Uh, so other than that, um, I do want, since I am the Welcome Ministries Director, and speaking of Welcome Ministries, I wanted to see if there's anyone in here who is volunteering right now for Welcome Ministries. If you don't mind, if you could just stand. Scary, I know. There we go, we got a couple. Sweet, awesome. Yeah, love this team. You guys, this team rocks. Um, and not only do I want to recognize, stay standing, and not only do I want to recognize Welcome Center, Welcome Ministries, but I also want to recognize anyone who serves in any capacity at Hopevale. So if you serve at any capacity, if you could stand up, that would be awesome. Oh, wow, Amen. this is so cool. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, thank you. You guys can sit now. Thank you. Um, here at Hopevale, we are so passionate about our volunteers. We absolutely love them like crazy. They are the frontliners. They are there, um, rain or shine. Our greeters are out there in the snow, if you don't notice that. Um, so I just, I love your hearts. I just wanted to say a huge thank you to everybody who serves here at Hopevale. 
We love your hearts. We appreciate your faithfulness. And if anyone is interested in volunteering here at Hopevale, um, I will actually be out in the lobby in between services. Feel free to come talk to me. I'd love to give you any information about volunteering, either for Welcome Ministries or any area in the church. So, Along with that, we do have a, a large group of people uh, who are on a retreat this weekend. So there are also a number of volunteers uh, helping our youth uh, retreat which is happening uh, at Great Wolf Lodge, I think is where it is. Uh, so they are there this morning having their final uh, worship service and will be coming back this afternoon. So as the ushers come, uh, we'd like to pray for that ministry and for the, all of you who uh, pitch in a hand to help, help the ministries here at Hopeville. God, we just thank you that we have just the awesome opportunity to lift your name up. God, we thank you for the way that you bless us. We thank you for the way that you provide in our lives, that you give us jobs, that you give us opportunities to interact in the lives of others. So God, today is is an act of our worship. We pray that you will take these offerings that come from the heart, that we may support the many ministries of the church where we're working with people and that you are being shared in our community and that people are coming to know you. So God, we pray that you would just take this offering and that you would bless it. And we thank you for leading us as a church and as individuals. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Cass and Amber. Hey, gang, my name is Billy. I'm the worship pastor. Glad that uh, you've all decided to uh, make God a priority in your life today by coming to church. And, uh, you know, we're going to sing this song. We sang it a couple times before. It's called Grace to Grace, and Melody's going to lead us in it. But uh, you know, we're getting close to Easter. Easter's right around the corner, just a couple weeks away. And in this uh, season where we're reminded of all that uh, God has done for us through His Son on the cross, uh, we thought, what better way to just kind of keep singing this theme of, of our gratefulness, this theme of God's grace, and this theme of uh, what Jesus has done for us. So we're going to continue to do that as we worship and as we give. Take a singing.
God, here we stand in your house uh, thanking you for all you've done for us. Um, God, it's that that brings us hope. It's that that brings us into this message in this Easter uh, season of thinking about hope. And God, we ask your blessing on Pastor Dan as he prepares to come and deliver the word that he's worked hard on all week to just kind of seek you and find you and figure out uh, what we need to hear. And uh, there's a word of hope for all of us wherever we are in life. Uh, there's a word of celebration, there's a word of goodness, there's a word of wisdom, word of knowledge. Whatever it is that you want to share through Pastor Dan, God, and through your spirit, God, we pray that today is a day where we're just open and, and, and we'll just be able to receive that. So, God, we say all that with a grateful heart today and uh, give you our attention continually in your name. We all say together, amen. God bless you, gang. Have a seat. Thank you. Well, good morning. Wow, it's been a great morning of worship so far. I'm Dan Davis, senior pastor here at Hopel. So glad you've joined us today. I want to welcome those of you worshiping with us in Bay City as well. Great to have you along. We are now just two weeks away from Easter Sunday. Sunday, April 1st, we are going to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus at both of our campuses in Saginaw and Bay City. In Saginaw here, we're going to have four services on Easter Sunday, 8, 9.30, 11, and 12.30. And in Bay City, we're going to have one service at our normal time of 10.30. Also at all those services, we'll have kids, men programming for children birth through pre-K as well. Now, here in Saginaw, we can predict that 9.30 and 11, those middle two services are historically our busiest ones. It fills up this auditorium, spills over into the venue for additional worship as well. So if you are able, we'd encourage you to come at 8 or 12.30. It evens the numbers out and it also opens things up for visitors as well. So I want you to be aware of that. Also, in addition to Easter Sunday, we also have our Monday, Thursday communion services here on Saginaw on the Thursday night prior. That's Thursday, March 29th, two services at 6 and 7.30 p.m. Now, it's a different kind of service for us. It's a more somber time of worship as we head into Good Friday, as we reflect on the cross and all that Jesus suffered for us. We'll go for an hour, 
Each service is identical, and for young children, we'll have kids' ministry programming for them at the 6 o'clock service. If you've never been before, I'd encourage you to come. There are some here in our church who tell us it's their favorite service of the year, and we'd love to have you join us for that. So that's looking ahead a little bit. One other thing I want to let you know about, too. This past week, we had the privilege of hosting 200 people from the Great Lakes Bay region right here in our church for a security event for houses of worship. And uh, it was sponsored by the Michigan State Police as well as local law enforcement and really was an honor for us to be able to inform and train churches all over our community how to do the security piece better. And I just want to give a shout out to Jim Clooney, who's our facilities manager, as well as many volunteers that we have every week uh, in our uh, building, on our campus, and kids ministries who, that's their service. They're devoted to the security of this place. And so just thank you to Jim, thank you to them for serving. We uh, have security people who serve in Bay City as well, and we're grateful for you. Uh, you know, it's, it's bittersweet, right? Sad that we have to think about that today, but we're grateful for those who are involved as well. So that's a little look at church life. Today, though, we're going to begin a new series. It's an Easter series that we're calling Hope for Everyone. Hope for Everyone. And as the series title implies, it's a series about hope. Hope, the kind of hope I believe that can only be found in Jesus Christ. And, you know, it's appropriate for people to think about and, and talk about hope throughout the year, but this time of year is extra special, right? Because of the events surrounding the miracle of Easter, that is the suffering, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. All of these serving as the foundation for the hope that our hearts truly long for. And yet, as great as that is, I think there's also a challenge when it comes to hope. See, it's one thing to say that Jesus offers hope for everyone, but it's another thing to really believe that he offers hope for every one. Each of us, you, me, all of us, in whatever situation we might find ourselves in. Let me explain what I mean. If you think about John 3.16, that is the gospel of John in the New Testament, the third chapter, the 16th verse, perhaps the most well-known verse in the entire Bible. We read this, right? For God so loved the world, the world, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And you read this and you think, wow, that is good news indeed, no doubt about it. I mean, this verse gives us a glimpse into the heart of the Almighty God as to why Christmas and Easter and everything that Jesus did in between, of why those things happen. Why did they happen? They happened because God so loved the world. He did. And yet here's the rub. You know, as wonderful as these words are, I think a lot of people, they encounter this verse Right? But then they compare it to what's going on in their own lives, and they conclude something like this, yeah, God may indeed so love the world, but does he really so love me? Me. Because if God really so loved me, then why am I so fill in the blank, so stressed, so lonely, so sick, so broke, so ugly, so afraid, so whatever that thing is that makes me feel unloved by God? Maybe you've got one of those fill-in-the-blanks today that, yeah, God may indeed so love the world, but does he really so love me? 
And if that's what we feel about God's love, we probably feel the same thing about his hope as well. That sure, there's hope for everyone, but is there really hope for everyone? Is there really hope for me in my unique situation? Well, that's what we want to push into in this series. How can we take this universal concept like hope, right, and make it real, make it personal for each one of our lives? Because that's what we're going to do. And I I want you to come along for the ride because week by week, we're going to look at stories from the Bible that aren't so much directed at the world or for the many or even for the few. But these are stories about the one, this one man, this one woman, this one person who even though they lived at a different place and a different time, There are people who share so much in common with us. They do. Our our hopes, our dreams, our desires, our fears, our challenges, our emotions, everything else, right? That humanity has experienced over the course of time, we share with them. See, regardless of the era, think about it. People have always been anxious about the future. Parents have always worried about their kids. Men have always struggled with courage. Women have always compared themselves with others, and mankind has always had doubts and questions about God. I mean, you think we invented all that? We didn't. Now, all these things have been part of mankind's journey throughout the ages on this planet. And so when we're in the midst of struggles like these, we wonder, sure, there's hope for everyone, but is there really hope for me? And so today, as we look at a story in the Bible, it's a story about a man It's also a story about a woman, both who were desperate for hope and how an encounter with Jesus changed their lives. So the story we're going to look at is found in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5. Mark, chapter 5. Now, Mark is one of the four biographical books about Jesus we read in the Bible. And the story we're going to look at today is actually found in three of those four biographical books. Matthew tells the story. Luke tells the story as well. Same event. They just bring a slightly different perspective to it. But today we're going to look at Mark's account because Mark gives us a little more detail than the others. And it's detail that I think are going to make this man and this woman even more relatable to us. So let's go ahead and take a look. Stories found in Mark chapter 5. We're going to begin with verse 21. It says this, when Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake. A large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Now, the lake that Mark's talking about here is actually a sea, the Sea of Galilee in northern Israel. The scene for many of Jesus' stories and miracles we read about in the Bible. Now, some of you know there was a group of 34 of us from Hophel, who went to Israel last year, and one of the highlights for me was seeing the Sea of Galilee for the very first time. I mean, it was incredible. It made the Bible come alive for me. And it reminded me that everything we read in Scripture, especially with the stories of... They they actually happened. They really did. They took place at real locations involving real people. So take the Sea of Galilee, for instance. It's really, as much like Mark says, more like a lake. It really is. Actually, from end to end, lengthwise, it's shorter than Torch Lake, although a little wider. 
And so when we read that Jesus crossed over by the boat to the other side of the lake, don't picture a sea. Don't picture one of the great lakes. No, just picture, envision in your mind something more like one of the bigger lakes up north. I mean, that's what we're talking about. So he's crossed over to the other side of the lake, the Sea of Galilee, verse 22. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. A synagogue leader, a religious man, and an important one at that, because the synagogue was the religious center of town. It was the place of worship for the people of God in that community. And so here you have this dignified leader, dignified, but he falls at the feet of Jesus. Jesus, who at this early point in his ministry is still a relative unknown. Yeah, the stories are out there, the buzz is beginning to build, but compared to what we now know about Jesus, the the picture at this point is still far from complete. Verse 23, he pleads earnestly with Jesus, my little daughter is dying, please come and put your hands on her so that we will be healed and live. She will be healed, excuse me, and live. So Jesus went with him. That's what you do when you're running out of hope, right? Plead earnestly. Plead earnestly. And if you're a parent, you know that you will do anything for the sake of your child. I mean, who cares what anyone else thinks? Who cares what my religious leader buddies at the synagogue might say about me? No, for Jairus, he's willing to risk it all for the sake of his daughter even if it means banking on a miracle, right? So Jesus, who already probably had plans in place, sets those plans aside and begins to follow Jairus to his house. Back to verse 24. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman who was there, who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. I love Mark's storytelling here, right? Look at the contrast. First, we're told that there is a large crowd following Jesus, such a large crowd that they're pressing against him. You can feel, right, the dynamic there. Large crowd, but then in verse 25, Mark, like a skilled Hollywood director, right, he he takes this large crowd and he zooms all the way in, all the way in, until he focuses on this one woman. A woman who, we're told, had a condition, a bleeding condition that had lasted for 12 years. Now, do the math with me on this, right? 12 years ago was what? 2006. It's not only before President Trump, it's also before President Obama. Back in 2006, there was no such thing as an iPhone. There was no such thing as streaming movies. No, Netflix was still renting DVDs back then. There was no such thing as a Hopevale church in Bay City, let alone a Hopevale church right here at the corner of Center in Titabawasi. 12 years. It's a long time. And it's certainly a long time to be sick, isn't it? And for this woman, her condition is not only a medical problem, it's not only a physical problem, but it's also a social problem. It's also a religious problem for her. It is, see, according to Jewish law, with her condition, she's considered to be ceremonially unclean. Unclean, which means she's not allowed to worship publicly in the synagogue or at the temple. Not only that, but she's not really supposed to be in public either unless she makes known to the other people around her that she is unclean. Why? Because if they make contact with her directly, then they would be considered ceremonially unclean as well. So what she's experiencing here is a big deal. 
I mean, her situation is the perfect storm. Not only is she suffering physically, she's also being shunned socially. Think about that. What a lonely and desperate place for her to be, right? But that's not all. Verse 26. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. And yet, instead of getting better, she what? She grew worse. Well, if that's not the last straw, right? I mean, on top of all her physical, medical, religious, and social problems, she's now flat out broke. Broke. I mean, you got to give her credit, right, that she didn't just wallow in the corner. No, she tried to find a cure, didn't she? She saw a lot of experts. She spent a lot of money, but it grew even worse. And now she's run out of options, hasn't she? She's suffering even more than when the bleeding first began. Wow. Now, we'll get back to this story in a little bit, but I want to pause for a moment and make this personal. See, I know that every Sunday that I step on stage to preach, that some of you listening to me are going through trials like this. You are. Sure, it might not look exactly like this one, but the misery, the, the desperation, the hopelessness, it's all much the same that whatever you're going through, like her, you've been dealing with for a while. Maybe you've tried a lot of fixes too, right, to remedy the problem, but it's only gotten worse over time. Yours could be a health challenge like hers, or maybe it's a different challenge, like a long-standing conflict with a family member. Or a, a never-ending battle with some kind of addiction or habit you can't break free from. Maybe it's heavy sadness and depression where it's a victory just to get out of bed in the morning, right? I could keep on going. Now listen, if that's you, I'm sorry. I really am. I'm sorry that you have to go through that. You know, don't let anyone try to minimize your suffering. Don't think that you're a loser because you can't quite snap out of it, even though people are telling you to. You know, it's a good and right thing to acknowledge our problems, but, but don't think you're singled out by God, okay? Don't think you're singled out by the universe or the fates or whatever else might have it out for you. Listen, your situation might be unique, but your suffering is not. Your suffering is not. And to think otherwise, to think it's really just about you, is actually a warped kind of pride and self-centeredness. Right? You're not the only person in this world who has problems. We see it in the story here, and it's true today. Listen, this woman with the bleeding condition, she had a lot going against her, but like I said earlier, you've got to give her credit, right? That she at least tried to do something about it. She did, but certainly now she's got to feel like she's at the end of her rope. Twelve years, a lot of fixes, a lot of tries, a lot of money spent, nothing worked. Verse 27. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd. Remember, this is a crowd of people she's not really supposed to be with in the first place. She's unclean. She's required by religious law to let the other people know about her condition. <laughs> now, you might call that desperation, but I'd call that, all right, I'd call that desperation, not disobedience, right? I mean, think about it. So she's just, this is the true Hail Mary in the sense of the, the word. So what does it say here? She's in the crowd. She comes behind Jesus and touches his cloak. Touches his cloak because she thinks, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. I will be healed. Now, at first glance, I mean, here we are, 2018. It's kind of hard to know what to make of this, right? 
if I can just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. I mean, kind of smacks of superstition. Religious superstition, the kind of religious superstition I think people still see today, right? That there's magic power in crosses and medals and crucifixes and the Shroud of Turin or like I saw when I was in Europe at the great cathedral in Cologne, Germany where there's a gold gilded box believed to hold the bones of the three wise men, right? Superstition, magic powers. And so was this a superstitious act on her part? to think that Jesus' cloak could heal her? Well, not exactly. When Mark tells us that she touched his cloak, there's a lot of significance to that. Matthew and Luke even go further to say that she touched the edge or the hem of his cloak. See, back then, the cloak, this outer garment, was more than just a piece of clothing. It represented a person's identity. It represented their authority, and that was the case with Jesus, too. I mean, if we think that clothing today makes a statement about who people are, it was even a bigger deal back then among the Jewish people and the type of cloak they wore. Now, we don't have time to look at it today, but if you go back to the Old Testament, you'll read that a person's garment, this cloak, particularly the hem and the tassels that were on it, they were there to be worn as an act of worship. Constant reminders to God's people that they needed to be faithful to his commands. Jesus even talks about these tassels in his day when he confronts the Pharisees about the elaborate tassels they would wear on their cloak to draw attention to themselves, right? And so Jesus, though, even as a devout Jew, in a more modest way, maybe likely wore a hem with some tassels like that on his cloak as well. See, personally, I don't think touching the cloak, touching the hem was her first option. No, I think ideally she would have loved to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with Jesus just like Jairus did, but that wasn't a luxury for her. Why? Because of the chaos of the crowd, because of her unclean condition, because of her secondary status in that day as a woman in that culture. No, for her, plan A is out the window, and now she's just clinging on to plan B. If I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. I mean, we can relate to that, right? Desperate times call for des desperate measures. Verse 29, immediately, immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. If you've never read or heard this story before, all you can say is, wow, wow, wow. All those failed medical treatments, all that money spent in this one moment with this one touch and this one act of faith. And she believed Jesus. It changed her life. It changed her life. And don't miss Mark's phrasing here. He intentionally puts the word in immediately. Why? Because he wants to let us know that her healing isn't some kind of act of nature that happens over time, but it's God miraculously working in the here and now. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Hope has come to this woman. And it's a great end of the story, isn't it? But we're not done just yet. Verse 30. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? 
Now, you know, there are several reasons I wish we could have been there for this story to witness it firsthand. But one reason in particular for me has to do with these four words of Jesus, who touched my clothes, right? I would have loved to have heard the tone in his voice. I really would have, because I've heard others talk about this passage before, and they kind of insinuate that, you know, Jesus has a little hint of anger in his words, like, who touched my clothes, right? Like he's some kind of obsessive male model, right? Hey, hey, don't mess with me, right? You know? You think Jesus did that really? I don't think so. That's not what's going on here. Let's take a look. Verse 31. You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you asked, can ask who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. I love the disciples here. I really do, because this is something I totally would have said. <laughs> Come on, Jesus. There are hundreds of people here. Maybe even thousands. You've felt everyone pressing against you, yet you're going to stop everything, turn to the crowd, and say, which one of these touched my clothes? What a request. It seems to me as outrageous as the time that Jesus looked at them and said, hey, we need to feed 5,000 people. Can you make that happen? Right? Remember that story? That was outrageous too, but at least I think maybe the disciples could have wrapped their minds around that because they knew that people were hungry. But here, at this point, they know nothing about the miracle. They know nothing about the healing. Only the woman knows. Only Jesus knows. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Verse 33, then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. This moment right here, this interaction, this one-on-one conversation, that's why Jesus wanted to know who touched his clothes. See, it wasn't for his sake. No, it was for the woman's sake. It was for the disciples' sake. And it was for everyone else's sake who was watching, right? And looking on, daughter, your faith has healed you. It wasn't your superstitious belief in a magical cloak. No, it was your spiritual faith in a supernatural Savior. A Savior who has authority over all sickness and a Savior who has the power to perform the miraculous. You know, the word here, healed, in the original New Testament Greek is the word sozo, sozo, which can be translated actually either heal or save, right? Say, that's why I go along with a lot of Bible scholars who say that this moment is both a moment of physical healing as well as spiritual healing for her. I mean, that's what Jesus said about some of the other miracles he performed, so it makes sense that that's what's going on here as well. That this woman, I mean, think about it, she's broken in so many places, physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, socially, right? That because the power of Jesus and her faith in him, She was able to be made whole again, whole again in every possible way. Go in peace, go in health, go in restoration and be freed from your suffering from here on out, your 12 years of suffering. You're free. You're free. What a moment. What a miracle. This is the brightest of hope shining in the darkest of despair. Hope not just for everyone, but hope for this one woman and her helpless situation. Well, that's the end of her story, but right after that, we pick things up with Jairus. 
But now when we get back to Jairus, things are only getting worse for him too because he now learns that his daughter has actually passed away. She's passed away, and while others around them are giving up hope and saying it's too late, Jesus looks at Jairus and says, don't be afraid, just believe. Just believe. And with those words, Jesus heads to Jairus' house with three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John. And when they get there, I mean, it's total chaos, right? People are crying. There's this out loud wailing that's common to Middle Eastern culture, right? It's just a madhouse. But Jesus cuts through all that. He goes to where Jairus' daughter is. And look at this, verse 41 took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. There's that word again. There's that word again, immediately. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. And then Mark, just you know, in parentheses, adds that she was how old? 12 years, 12 years old. What a coincidence. No, not a coincidence. Same amount of time that this woman had a condition of of bleeding, right? 12 years. At this, they were completely astonished. Astonished. Jesus says to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe. Believe, believe that I am who I say I am. Believe that I am the one who these miracles prove me to be. Because I not only have the power over sickness and disease like I proved in this woman's life, but I also have the power over the greatest foe we'll ever face in life, death itself. There is hope for everyone, and there is hope for every one. Two stories of desperation, one common source of hope, none other than Jesus Christ himself. Wow. You know, as I was thinking about which stories I wanted to share in this series, I was especially drawn to the one about this woman. And, and she caught my attention, not just because of how much she suffered, but also because of how long she suffered. Like I talked about earlier, 12 years is a long time, isn't it? Go back 12 years in your life, 12 years of suffering physically, socially, emotionally, spiritually. And the more you think about it, the more you realize that one of the greatest enemies that tries to rob our hope is simply the passage of time. The passage of time. The passage of time was an enemy of hope for her back then, and if it was then, I mean, how much more today for us? Those of us who live in a fast-paced, on-demand world where we expect everything to happen for us yesterday, right? I mean, we live in the kind of world where we no longer want to hop in the car and drive to Toys R Us to buy a present for our kids because it's too much of a hassle. But no, we just want to sit at home, get on Amazon, a couple clicks of the mouse and order what we want. We're losing our patience. And if we can't wait in every other area of our life, I fear we're going to lose our ability to hang on to hope when life stays hard for us and things don't change right away. And maybe that's you. Maybe you've run out of steam as well because you just can't hang on any longer. Or maybe like this woman in Mark 5, you've gone to a lot of different people. You've tried a lot of fixes to improve your situation, to better your life, but nothing's really changed. 
And maybe there were some brief glimmers of hope along the way, but they all quickly faded. And just like her, maybe your condition has also worsened than when you first began. And so you've come to this place in life where you feel like it's too late. It's too late. I've given it my best shot. I really have numerous times, but now I'm just worn out. Worn out physically, emotionally, mentally. You don't have anything left. And you're like, I'm just tired of my heart being broken. I'm just tired of my hopes being dashed over and over again. I give up. It's just too late. And I don't know your exact situation, so I won't pretend I can relate to everything you've gone through. I can't, so I won't. But I do know this. I do know that the same Jesus who met this woman and this man at their point of need is the same Jesus who can meet us at our point of need. It's the same Jesus who can bring hope to every single one of us here, even to those of us who feel like it's just too late. So you need to know that with Jesus, it's not too late. It's never too late. So even though we cannot see him with our physical eyes, even though we cannot touch the hem of his cloth, he's just as real, he's just as alive, and he's just as powerful as he was back then. He really is. See, this story should remind us that he's there for us too. And you know, one of the things I love about this passage is the contrast between the two characters, Jairus and this woman. There's a contrast. I mean, on the one hand, you've got this highly respected male religious leader. And on the other hand, you've got this low-profile female social outcast. Back then, the differences could have been greater. And I think that's why Mark and Matthew and Luke all intertwine those stories together right? Because they, they wanted us to know that the hope that Jesus offers isn't just for a certain type of person or just for a specific class of people. We've got some in here who are probably more like Jairus, well-respected. You know, your life looks put together on the outside, and we've got some of you who probably more feel like this woman where everything's falling apart, and no one wants anything to do with you, right? And then the rest of us maybe are somewhere in between, right? Jesus wants to bring hope to our despair. Jesus wants to bring healing to our brokenness for all of us because his hope is truly a hope for everyone, including you. And so how do you respond to that hope? After all, you can't touch his cloak, right? He's not going to physically enter your home either. So what can you do? What should we do? Let's go back to the story. Mark 5, verse 33. I want to show you something. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, trembling with fear, she told him the whole truth. You know what Jesus wants from you? He wants your faith. He wants your sincerity. He wants your truth. Your truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Now, on the one hand, that's the easiest thing to give. It really is. And yet, on the other thing, it might also be the hardest. might be the hardest because some people are so afraid of God. We're so afraid of Jesus. We feel like if he knew everything about us, all the deepest, darkest, dirtiest secrets we have, that he's going to fly into a rage and cast us away. And while that might be the picture you have in your head of Jesus, it's the furthest from the truth. It really is. 
See, I don't know if you noticed when we walked through this story, but I left out one important detail. Here it is. Pay attention. Very important. The woman was the one who turned herself in. Did you catch that? She was the one who turned herself in. Had she not done that, everything in the story seems to indicate she just could have walked away and never been found out. But that's not what happened, was it? No, she took a chance. She took a risk. She approached Jesus with a mixture of faith and fear, and she told him the truth. You know, unlike every other religious authority figure she probably ever knew in her life, that instead of responding with judgment and condemnation, shame and disgust, Jesus responded with grace. He responded with mercy. He didn't scold her with harsh words like, who do you think you are? What do you think you're doing? Why did you touch my cloak? No, what did Jesus say? Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be free from your suffering. And so for those of you who've given up, those of you who feel like it's too late, you need to know it's not. It's not. I don't doubt that others have failed you and let you down. But Jesus is there. He offers hope. And all he asks from us, all he asks is that we take a step of faith towards him and tell him the truth. Truth about our need, the truth about our desperation, and the truth about how we want to be totally dependent upon him. You know, it's okay if your faith is mixed with fear. It really is. Because Jesus isn't looking for perfect faith. He's just looking for honest faith. Can I say that again? See, some of us have this image in our mind, we've got to clean our act up before we take a step towards Jesus. But he's not looking for perfect faith. He's looking for honest faith. A faith that simply believes that Jesus can heal our brokenness and make us whole again in every sense of the word. Yes, to spiritually save our soul, but also emotionally, mentally, socially, to bring us peace in the truest sense of the word. If you feel like it's too late, it's not. Take a step, a step, a next step of faith towards Jesus. Call on him to be your savior. And if you know him already personally as your savior, look to him again and again and again because he is our hope. He really is. You know, as part of that trip to Israel I told you about earlier, we actually stopped. This is great. We stopped at the seaside town where this miracle took place. It's a town, a village called Magdala. And while there's not much activity going on there today, there are some really impressive archaeological ruins, including some remnants that go back to the time of Jesus with a synagogue there. Really cool, probably a synagogue that Jesus would have been into at one time. Also at this site, there's this beautiful church built in the last century. It's right on the Sea of Galilee. The views are tremendous. And so we toured the main floor of that church. It really was gorgeous. And to exit the building, we had to go down a flight of stairs to get out. And as we went down that flight of stairs, we walked into a chapel area. But it felt entirely different because 
the floor wasn't kind of this polished marble we saw above, but it was more kind of rough stone. Stone that would have much been like the roads of Magdala in the first century. Rather unimpressive, but before we left, we noticed on one wall there was a picture, a portrait that made this place truly a place of worship. Here it is. You have a stone road, a walking stick, some dusty feet, some leather sandals, some full lake robes, and then in the midst of all that chaos, there is a lone, withered hand. Maybe not at that location, but in that general vicinity, right? It was in a real place. It involved real people. And real hope was given that day by a real Savior, right? And what Jesus did for her then, he can do for us today. Reach out. Reach out to Jesus. Honest faith, sincere faith, and believe that he has hope for everyone, including you. He really does. Let's pray together. God, thank you that in your wisdom, in your providence, in your sovereignty, you have protected and maintained and delivered these wonderful stories about Jesus throughout the century. And, and so when we get to this point in 2018, Sure, we're removed by culture and time and language. But we've been there. We've been in those places of desperation where we've seen all the experts, we've tried all the fixes, and nothing's quite worked. And our hearts are still longing for hope. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you are the source of that hope. Lord, I want to pray for people who need to reach out to you. Maybe they've been afraid to, but just like this woman trembling with fear, may they reach out with faith and fear and believe you to be the Savior that you truly are. Lord, for some people here, it's a first time reaching out, and it means crossing the line of faith to believe in their hearts, to confess in their mouths that Jesus is not just a Savior, but Jesus is their Savior. He's my Savior. Let today be that day. For others of us, Lord, it's reaching out again. We know you personally, but we've drifted or you feel far from us. Let us reach out again, not with perfect faith, but with honest faith and believe that it's not too late, but you've got hope for us too. And God, thank you that we are reaching out to a Jesus with a beautiful name, a wonderful name, a powerful name, the name that is above every other name, the name that can do for us all that our hearts desire. And so God, we look to you, Jesus, we cling to you, our Savior, our Lord, praying in your name. Amen. So in your heart, as you're reaching out, as Pastor Dan has encouraged us to do, to reach out to God for the things going on in our lives, 
there's something about worship and there's something about response and there's something about declaring how beautiful God is, even though we're still in the midst of reaching out. But there's something you can do too. We can look back and say, look at what God did and look at, look at how good God has been. And so I consider this story of this woman who reached out in faith. Uh, this is one of my wife's favorite scriptures. I love this. And, and uh, when my wife talks about this, it's like when Jesus was like, who, who did I just heal? Like what, what just happened? And this woman, when Jesus looks at her and says, go, and you've been healed and it's your faith that's healed you, you can't, kind of can't, kind of can't help but think that if that happened today, this might be her song that we're going to sing right now. Look back in your life and remember how God has been there and the things that he's done. This can be your song now, even as you reach out in faith for some of the things that you continue to reach out for now. Let's respond in worship to the one that heals and the one that saves. Good night. 
phenomenal and as Billy said just the perfect song to wrap up that story of uh, the power isn't us reaching out the power is in Jesus but we need faith step of faith even if it is faith mixed with fear take a step towards Jesus because he has no rival he has no equal 12 years of bleeding loneliness despair Jesus is bigger than that and he can be bigger than that for you next week we'll talk more about what hope for everyone means and what it means when we feel like we're too far from God but as you go from here go in the wonderful beautiful powerful name of Jesus Christ your Savior and your Lord God bless you